Hey everybody, this is Mark, and welcome to another episode of This Poor Pastor's Podcast. What you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore, I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I want to do something big and something important. I'm not like you. I'm nothing. Just let me be nothing. So where does the power come from to see the race to its end? I believe God made me for a purpose. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ, then that is how you run a straight race. Run in God's name and let the world stand back in wonder. Welcome. Was it as easy as it looked? No, sir. No, no sir, it wasn't. Hey guys, welcome back. It is Labor Day, September 7th, 2020. It's a holiday, so a lot of pastors will be off work today. A lot of other people will be off work, government workers. Most blue-collar workers will go to work today. Labor Day is a holiday with a little bit of a funny history, but we're not going to get into that today. I am off, but I'm in my office, and I'm recording this podcast just for you guys. This Poor Pastors podcast is brought to you, after all, by me, mostly by me, a little bit by my dog. My wife gives me the freedom to do it, and I'm glad you're here. I want to talk to you about discouragement today and encouragement today, and who in the world will encourage the pastor? That's what we're going to talk about. You know... Discouragement comes easier to some of us than others. At least that's how it appears to me. I'd like to believe that everybody gets equally discouraged, but only because misery loves company. I have been prone to discouragement for years. I hesitate to use the word depression, but I will use it not in the clinical sense, but in the sense of just being depressed in my thoughts and feelings and emotions. I have highs and lows. No, it's not always on Monday. Sometimes the most discouraged I am is on Sunday morning, right before I preach. The worst possible time to be depressed, when I'm supposed to get up and feed God's people with a message from God's Word. And I know I'm not alone in getting discouraged. I know there are a lot of pastors who feel that way. I wish more pastors could be honest about it, because it is disheartening and frustrating to me when I do go to pastors' fellowships or pastors' conferences to see how far we go and to what great lengths we go to try to convince each other that everything is wonderful Even in the battle, you know, I'm on top side. I'm not under the circumstances. What are you doing under the circumstances? And all that kind of stuff. And there are pastors sitting out there that are just literally bleeding to death. And we need to know that other pastors feel that way too. Well, I'm right there with you. 
there are times I get tremendously discouraged. Take heart recognizing that many of the people that God used in the Bible to write the Bible also suffered with discouragement. Of course, we know David was discouraged many times. Read the book of Psalms, and you'll see David as well as others, uh, Asaph, for example, talking about terrific bouts with discouragement when they look around them and they see the condition of the world and they see how God's people are sometimes suffering while the wicked seem to be having everything going their way. Read how the Apostle Paul said that there were times that he despaired even of life. There were times when they got discouraged. It's natural. Pastors are not immune to it. Man, if I could give a message to pastors anywhere, it would be stop pretending. Acknowledge and embrace the fact that some of us get discouraged. Now, maybe you don't have that personality. You only ever see the sunny side, and you're always on top side. I guess that could be Pollyanna, but that's not most pastors. I think people who love deeply and people who recognize the gravity of the situation that we're serving in are going to be prone to discouragement. How could you not? People's lives are on the line. Now, there are some things that we get discouraged about that I don't think we should get discouraged about. I don't think we should be discouraged about the numbers that we're running. I think that's a false discouragement put upon us by the brethren. I think if you have even one person to serve, that we should be grateful for that. But I recognize we all would prefer to preach to a full building than to an empty one. And it's easier to get excited when a bunch of people show up to hear you than when it's just the faithful few. I'm not saying we should be satisfied and not seek to reach more people, but I am saying I think sometimes the discouragement around numbers is false because numbers are are a huge comparison game. And by the way, fellas, I know well pastors who are pastoring many hundreds of people, and the battles that they face are not battles that I would want to face. As I've said in 15 years, I've never pastored a church that has consistently run over 100. Sometimes we've bumped 100, gone over 100 on some special days or whatever, but typically it's been between 40 and 75. And I have had to learn not to be discouraged by that. Well, I'm still learning. Pastors get down. Pastors get discouraged. How could we not? I mean, the battle between what we know by faith and what we see with our eyes is an ongoing battle. This is the battle that the psalmist faced. He saw the wicked spreading themselves like a green bay tree. He saw the wicked increasing in strength, increasing in riches. It didn't seem like anything bad happened to them, and he was about ready to give up because of what he saw with his eyes. But he said, then I went into the sanctuary, and I understood their end. So the battle between what we know by faith and what we see with our eyes is ongoing, and it, and it can sometimes cause us to get discouraged. Now, last week, I didn't do a very good job. It was Sunday morning, and I was losing the battle. Things had been really difficult at home with one of our children. Maybe I'll talk about that in another podcast, but the internet was down. In, our, in the entire area, our entire New England area was uh, like there were three 
major service providers that had servers down, and it was affecting not just our church, but many churches. And so our live stream was canceled, leaving about a dozen or so of our families, especially our seniors, without access to the message that day. As you know, um, and if you're listening to this in 2020, you know very well that we have had to do a lot of live streaming to reach people even after some churches have started meeting in person again, like ours has, with diminished numbers, there are still people who are staying home. Well, on this Sunday, they couldn't get a message because there was no internet. And as the time for the service came closer and closer, I could feel the anger and despair growing heavier in me. And I, I knew it was there, but I just couldn't shake it. I prayed about it. I went to my office and I said, Lord, dear Lord, don't let me be discouraged this morning. And I wish I could tell you that the Holy Spirit came into my office and the wind blew and I left the office and on, on top side and I got the victory that day. I wish I could tell you that. That's not what happened. It just got heavier. I muddled through the welcome and opening prayer. I buzzed through the announcements because I just didn't want to talk. I could barely talk. I wanted to cry. I wanted to break down and cry. I wanted to cry, but I didn't know why I wanted to cry. I really didn't want to be there. When I stood up to preach, I had three different directions pulling on me. I had the outline of the message that I felt God had given me to preach on the notebook in front of me. But I also had the urge to chuck the message and just go on a rant, you know, because I was angry. I was frustrated. I wanted to rant against the virus. I wanted to rant against the government. I wanted to rant, rant against stupid people. I also had the desire just to announce that I couldn't do this and go to my office and lock the door and have a good cry. I chose to follow option one. I preached the message. Though I don't think I did a particularly good job. Well, I came back this week. Yesterday was Sunday. And I confessed in the beginning of my sermon that I had been discouraged for the last couple of weeks. I stood up and told my people that. I was transparent with the people sitting in front of me. And it felt good to be honest with them. And then I preached my message. You know, fellows, throughout the day yesterday, I had several people either message me or speak to me in person to encourage me. Several of them said that they saw that I was discouraged the week before, but they didn't know what to do. One godly older lady said, I knew you were discouraged. Mothers can always tell. And her husband sat down on the platform before church with me. Sometimes I sit on the platform just on the steps facing the pews, and we just chat. I chat with the teenagers, or I chat with other people. And this older gentleman came up and sat down on the, on the bottom step next to me and just shared some of his struggles and said, I know what it is to be discouraged, preacher but you have a lot of people here that love you. Now, several of them had said that they knew that I was discouraged, but they didn't know what to do. It was only after I was transparent 
you know, letting them know that it was okay to talk about it. It was only after that that they reached out to encourage me. And so last night as I was thinking about it, I was reminded of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, or more, more I guess, to the point, second Corinthians. I don't know if it was his second letter, but it's the second one we have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? I realize the context of this letter is referring to his former rebuke to the church for the sin that had been there, but I think it's still applicable to the topic I'm discussing. Paul said, I made up my mind. I wasn't going to be heavy when I came to you again. Because if I am, who's going to make me happy? Who's going to encourage me if I have discouraged the very people who encourage me? I just was meditating on that and thinking on that. Because I believe God has given me the opportunity to pastor some of His people. Sometimes I think I forget that fact. I wonder if other pastors do. I fear that we do. That the people that sit in front of us every Sunday, they're His people. And that they can, if we allow them to be, they can be a tremendous blessing to us. Now, I know that we as pastors fight some pretty tough battles in some of our churches. I'm going to have a podcast episode just on battles. I've faced some pretty tough battles myself. And I know that many of the men listening to me carry bruises and battle scars. If I ever meet you in person, we can compare scars. Still, in both of the churches I have pastored, God has given me members who encouraged me, people who would seek me out when they saw I was discouraged. As I'm just getting started in this podcast, there are so many topics I want to discuss. I'm going to have a podcast all about mistakes I've made in the ministry. One of the mistakes I made early on was forgetting that the people that I was preaching to were God's people. And I was responsible, yes, sometimes for reproof and rebuke, but also for edification. And that if I browbeat and discouraged the people sitting in front of me, you know, whipped them from the pulpit to try to get them to do the work of God, then I was diminishing the very well from which I was supposed to draw my own encouragement. I regret that mistake, and I'm so thankful to the Lord for a book that I read, and I don't even remember what book it was. I think it was called Pastoral Graces. Let me grab it, and I'll, I'll let you know which one it is. Hold that thought. Okay, I know it seems like I was just here, but I actually paused and went and got the book. It's called Pastoral Graces, Reflections on the Care of Souls. Because, you know, Hebrews says that one of our jobs as pastors is to watch for the souls of our members. It's written by a man named Lee Eklov. 
He's a senior pastor at the Village Church of Lincolnshire in the northern suburbs of Chicago. At least he was at the time that he wrote this book. Man, I tell you, this book encouraged me, but one of the things that he said that really hit me hard was that these are God's people. We should come to them as God's people, not as antagonists or adversaries, but as the people of God. I know there are times that we have to rebuke, and I know there are times that we have to reprove, but what I've been trying to do over the last several years is learn that even when I do that, I have to guard against the tendency to become cynical or embittered and to see that there are good people in the congregation and that these are the people of God. So let me look back at my notes here to see where I was. Yeah, these are his people. In both of the churches I've pastored, God has given me members who encouraged me. People who would seek me out when they saw I was discouraged. One of the darkest times in my life was when my baby brother died of a car accident. He was 20 years old, just before his 21st birthday, on his way home from a basketball game, and he lost control of his car wrapped it around a tree. He was dead instantly. It was one of the toughest things our family has ever gone through. And we rushed to the funeral, and within a week I was back in the pulpit. I should never have been in the pulpit. Oh, I was bleeding so heavily, and I went through probably six months of as close to clinical depression as you can get. In fact, I even went to see the doctor about it, and he said, I think you're battling with depression. And there were some good people in my congregation who knew that I was hurting, and they sought me out. But even if it wasn't as big as that, there have always been people who encouraged me with a word, with a note, with a gift, with a handshake, with a text. So I want to encourage those people, right? When I'm pastoring, I want to to encourage them. I want to feed them, and I want to nurture them. Why? Because like Paul said, they're also going to encourage me. But firstly, because it's my job, right? Feed the flock of God which is among you, right? But I also want to do it for a somewhat self-serving reason. They're the ones that are supposed to encourage me. And how can they do that if I discourage them? So this is what I try to do. Here's what I've been trying to do now probably for the past 10 years of my pastoral ministry. I try to feed the flock of God. I try to faithfully preach the Word of God to them. And I try to love them in Christ. Even in the way I speak from the pulpit. You know, when Paul said the words, Brethren, these things ought not so to be. You know, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings, Uh, My dearly beloved, these or my dear brethren, these things ought not so to be. There's two ways that Paul could be saying that, and I don't know which one he did, but I I think I, I have a pretty good idea. Well, if I was preaching a message, a corrective message to my people, the people that I serve, and I said, you know, these things ought not so to be, you know, just ranting and raving, how could you do it? You're not supposed to do it. What's wrong with you? 
like I've heard some pastors do, and honestly, like I may have even done in the early years of my ministry, ranting and raving. But I think the harder statements we have to make need to be couched in a greater degree of love and compassion. My dear brethren, these things ought not so to be. I want them to know that even when I have to say something corrective, I love them deeply. I want to feed them, and I want to nourish them, and I want to administer medication in a loving and a compassionate way. I don't want to hold them down and force it down their throats or jam the needle in their arm like you see in the movies with someone in a hospital, you know, someone refusing the medication, so they dogpile on them and they, they jam it into their arm or into their neck. That's not the way I want to do pastoral ministry. I want to love these people because they're God's people, and I want to feed them. The next thing that I try to do is I try to seek a common bond. Listen, I'm their pastor, but I am also a child of God like they are. I'm not above them, even though I am over them in the Lord. But I'm not Lord, a Lord over God's heritage. It's God's heritage. I have a position of authority, but I am not above them. You know something that an older preacher told me many years ago, and it is a challenge to do, and it takes dedicated effort to change our vocabulary, but he said to me, you know, Mark, if when you are preaching, you would use the words we and us more than you, I think people would respond better. And sometimes we as pastors can forget this, I think, and even in, even in my saying that, when I said I think we as pastors can forget this, that's less, that is less threatening than if I said sometimes you pastors can forget this, because all that does is make it sound like, you know, I don't do it, but you do. And when I'm preaching, I want to, I want to be preaching with my people. I want to include myself in the conversation. So, I'll say, he said, say things like, I know that we struggle with this, and this applies to all of us, and we need to consider what the Bible says in relation to this. There's a whole different way of speaking than saying, you need to do this, you're wrong in this, you're making this mistake. I want to seek a common bond. We are in this together. Sometimes, pastors, I think we can make the mistake of using the term I whenever we look good, and you whenever it is something bad. So the other thing this older pastor said to me is he said, if you're going to use the word I, let it be more often when you have made a mistake. Say things like, I have failed in this, or one of the mistakes that I have made. That draws people into you. It gives them a common bond. And I know, I can tell you, it works. One of the things that I love to hear people in the congregation say to me is, Pastor, you are so transparent. It, it, it does me so much good to know that you struggle with the same things that I struggle with. 
It doesn't cause them to lose respect for me. What I've found is that it draws us closer together. We're in this together. It's a battle. We're all on the same side. And I am over them in the Lord, but I am not above them. We are both part of the body of Christ. Then the third thing that I want to do, and I've mentioned it a little bit already, but I want to practice transparency of emotion and life. You know, I want them to know that I face the same struggles. Again, I think in the movement that I grew up in, we were taught that there needed to be mystique in the ministry, that people won't respect you if they know you too well. You know, let the people know you have feet of clay, but never let them see it. Never take your shoes off. I think that's the biggest bunch of hogwash that I've ever heard in my life. Do we think that when Paul traveled around with people in the ministry, that he always slept in a separate room, that he never let the people that were around him see his faults, see his frailties? No, he told Timothy, you have fully known my life, my manner of living. I have let you into my life. The the only reason that I can think of that we would want to hold God's people at a distance is because we know that if they were to see our lives, they would recognize that it's not what we present it to be in the pulpit. Well, I got news for us. People already know. And the movement that I grew up in is rotten with pastors who pretend to be one thing in the pulpit and lead duplicitous lives. But when we live among the sheep as one of them, and we let them see our frailties and our failures, it should challenge us to be an example to them, to be an example to the flock. Paul said, follow us and follow others as you have us for an example. How can we be an example if they never get to see our daily lives? I want them to know that I face the same struggles that they face. I want to give them illustrations of my failures. Too many times we are the heroes of our own stories. Why not be the villain or the defeated? See, what good will that do? It lets people know that even the pastor gets knocked down sometimes and that sometimes I fail. If I tell illustrations about my personal life, it is most often times when I have blown it. You want to know why? Because I want them to, I want them to see, yeah, I failed too. I'm not preaching these things because I have it all figured out. I'm, I'm struggling just like you are. I tell them stories about when I behave badly in traffic or when I have to go back and apologize to someone at the grocery store because I lost my temper and was rude to them. Or when I have to apologize to my kids for, um, for raising my voice at them uh, wrongly because I, I assumed something that wasn't true. None of those things have... I have, I have had no experience um, when doing that has caused people to, to love me less or to honor me less as the pastor, what it has done, I think it's caused us to grow in love with each other because we are all struggling. I want to apologize when I've let them down, and my church has heard me apologize. 
And like I did Sunday morning when I said, I need to apologize to you. I was very discouraged last week, and I didn't do as good of a job as I wanted to do to, to deliver the message. You know, people get up on Sunday morning, especially right now with all of the challenges, and they come to church and they want to hear from God, and I want to do the best I can do to feed them. And I knew that two weeks ago I didn't do what I wanted to do and really what they deserved. And so I apologized this week, and guess what? They voted to kick me out. No, they didn't. They surrounded me with love. And they said, Pastor, we're with you. And I want to confess my weaknesses to them. I don't want to pretend like I have it all figured out. So I want to feed the flock. I want to seek a common bond. And I want to practice transparency of emotion and life. Now, fellas, I know the fear of doing this. I know that not every pastor is in a church that is healthy enough to do this. But maybe it's not as hopeless as we think. I want to encourage my people. I want us to come together for the better, not for the worse. And I want to encourage you, fellas, along with me, to seek to encourage the people of God that he has given you to serve as long as you're their pastor, seek to encourage them. And what we might find is as we change our attitude towards them, their attitude towards us may change. Now, there are going to be difficult people. There are cynics. There are scorners. There are critics. But within every flock of God, there are encouragers. And how will they encourage us if we discourage them? Healthy, happy sheep benefit the shepherd. It could be that in your congregation right now, there are people who would encourage you if you would let them. Let me change that language. It could be that in our, our congregations right now, there are people who would encourage us if we would let them. Don't push them away. Let's not keep ourselves aloof from the flock. They are, after all, God's people. Now, if you don't feel you have anybody to encourage you and you desperately need it, please reach out to me. Email me at thispoorpastor at gmail.com, and I will email with you. And if you want to, I'll call you on the phone, and we'll have a conversation. I want to encourage you. I want you to know that you're not in this alone. I'm in it with you. We're in it together. I hope you have a great uh, Labor Day weekend and a wonderful fall as we go into it. I'm enjoying this podcast. It's therapy for me. I hope it's encouraging to you. If you're listening to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, please leave a, a, a review, preferably a nice review. That would help. And share it with other pastors that you think might be benefited or blessed by it. Anyway, I'm going to go spend some time with my family. I'll be praying for you. I don't know your name, but I pray every time that I release a podcast episode that it will find someone who desperately needs it. I look forward to being with you again right here next week on this Poor Pastors Podcast. Thanks, guys. God bless you.